You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Happy holidays and Happy New Year. We're celebrating the end of 2022 with one of our favorite listeners. Don't forget to kiss your horse and thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy happy Hour. hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 105 of Heels Down Happy Hour. The last episode of the year. Can you believe that we made it? (laughs) I know. (laughs) What a year. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this episode is brought to you by Eagle Gold. All right, guys. So I have a drink that probably uh, neither one of you are going to drink on Christmas, but I will because (laughs) I'll be in Florida. So, (laughs) Uh, Actually, I'm not going to be in Florida for Christmas, but I'll still probably drink this drink. Okay. So it's a (laughs) frozen cranberry margarita. All right. So, yes, it's a frozen drink. I, I get that most people are... Pro- listening to this are probably in a frozen tundra so you don't want a frozen drink so we're you know our plan is to share more warm drinks too but if you want a frozen cranberry margarita this is what you need you're gonna need um some whole cranberries some granulated sugar kosher salt a lime wedge some cranberry juice silver tequila some triple sack some lime juice ice and a mint for garnish And basically what you're going to do is in a bowl, you're going to toss in the cranberries with a tablespoon of lime juice, then drain out the lime juice and toss it with two tablespoons of sugar. Then you're going to pour that onto a baking sheet to dry. While that's drying, you're going to take the remaining sugar with your salt on a shallow plate and mix it all together and combine it. Using the the lime wedge, you'll wet the rim of your margarita glass and then dip it into that sugar and salt mixture, which is a brilliant idea. I've never thought about adding um, salt to the sugar rim. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll combine the cranberry juice, tequila, triple sec, uh, the rest of your lime juice and ice in a blender. You can do it in batches if you got too much. Blend until smooth, pour into your nice already rimmed glasses, garnish with a sprig of mint, and you are, oh, and then you add your sugared cranberries on top, and you're good to go. This sounds delicious, so I just, I had to share this drink because it just sounds yummy. I mean, I'm one of those people that drinks, like, iced coffee year-round, <laughs> even same. though even though it's freezing outside, um, so... <laughs> I'm definitely going to make Matt make this. It's too, like, too uh, involved for me to make, but I'll definitely make Matt make it. <laughs> yeah. I might Matt's be bringing this out, like, in the middle of summer, because I am not the person that can drink iced coffee every day. I am the person that 100% drinks, like, hot coffee oh, all okay. year round. I feel like, so. is it hard to find cranberries year round? Are they seasonal? I don't know. Yeah, oh. they are up okay. here anyway. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I'm just talking, like, even a frozen margarita just sounds like, <laughs> sounds like I need right that up your right alley. now. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Um, Jess, what do you got for us for news? This week? I've got uh, a controversial thing that the USEF got themselves a little bit in a pickle. They did a big rule change proposal. So they came out with a draft. Um, everybody kind of got it. And the biggest note in it is that for officials, judges, any kind of licensed official to per se say that, that 
in particular the judges, it says that if you take a lesson with um, a judge, you can't then ride with them 30 days before they're going to show or judge you. Like if you're going to a show, they're your judge. You can't either be in their arena or you have to have had a 30-day rule. And everybody's really accustomed to this. It's like totally fine. Problem is now when they did this 500-word rewrite, it now says you have to, if you judge the person, you don't get 30 days. You have to permanently never judge them again, or you can't teach them, or it is like permanent. And the word permanently scared so many people that they had this big uproar all over social media that people wrote in, people protested. And so now the USEF is supposedly doing a rewrite, and these were thankfully only proposed changes. So supposedly they're going to go back and go to the 30-day rule. Uh, but stay tuned because hopefully the USEF will make this correct. I think it was just kind of a typo. I think it was maybe supposed to say or, and they didn't. Um, so stay tuned because hopefully they fix this where, you know, basically you're encouraging the judges to never be able to coach and we're not going to have judges and everybody else. So we really need um, the USEF to kind of step up and make sure that this is corrected in a manner that is either back to the 30 day or there's another wording, but permanently cannot be the word that they use as like, you can never ride with them again. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Judges can't like make a living off of judging no, alone. It's you get impossible. no money judging a hundred percent. They do it because they love the sport and they love it and everything else. But they also, most of them are very good teachers. So they have, a plethora of students that come in and they just know, you know, you can't go to the horse show that they're judging. And so I hope they do make this right. I'm sure they will, but it is still a bit of an uproar. I can see why there was an outcry for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, rightfully so. So Ellie, what do you have? I have scientific evidence or um, support that kissing your horse is important. Uh <laughs> So uh, this is interesting to me because uh, it's hitting on something that I've always been taught, like growing up and stuff, which is to smell your horse's breath. And I remember when I was a kid, it was mostly just like, you know, that's kind of a weird thing to do. Uh, but like as I've gotten older, I mean, and, you know, uh, you learn a lot more, obviously, from when you're a kid. Um, but this article actually talks about why it's so important to kiss your horse. Because it gives you a chance to detect odor from their mouth, which obviously can point out any dental sinus infections, you know, if they have that kind of rotting smell. And even some advanced tumors also have that smell. So it's it's important to, you know, check that um, from your horse's nostrils and from their mouths to kind of get a heads up on that. So I liked this article and I also appreciated that there was a little note in here that said, you know, Limit your kissing. Uh, don't kiss every horse. Go down the barn aisle kissing horses because then you can, you know, spread infectious diseases like equine influenza. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, don't go macking with the whole barn, <laughs> um, but your horse specifically and stuff. It was just cool to have some, you know, official evidence and support for why it's important to give your horse a smooch. Oh, I like that. What have you got, Justine? 
so I have a fun one. Um, it's about the Lipizzaner breed. So uh, eight European countries uh, submitted an application to uh, basically preserve Lipizzan breeding as a cultural heritage status. So basically, they asked the Intergovernmental Committee for the Safeguarding of the Intangible Cultural Heritage uh, to consider uh, the long history of breeding Lipizzan or horses and to protect that as a cultural heritage status. Um, well, this group um, just had a meeting in Mon or Morocco. Uh, it just ended recently, and they, they voted in favor of this. So that means Lipizzan horse breeding is preserved in this heritage status, which is great. Uh, and also very cool as, you know, as we know, it's a very old breed historic. Um, they can be traced back to 18 or 1580 um, when they were initially bred for the Imperial court in Vienna. Uh, and today they, you know, they play a, a vital part in both cultural and social life on uh, horses. And it's a very important breed for many reasons, especially as we, uh, as we consider the variety of breeds uh, that we see in sport today and sort of how lip is on our played a role in helping those breeds become what they are today. So this is very cool to see that this cultural, historical, global group uh, sees the value in preserving breeding uh, Lipizzaners. That's awesome. Yeah. Big shout out to everybody who has contributed on Patreon. We really appreciate you guys continuing to make this podcast happen. And we have so much fun with you guys. So thank you so much. Um, if you are interested in becoming a Patreon subscriber, go ahead and go to patreon.com slash heels down. All right, guys. So this month we're reviewing the Eagle Gold Flip Half Pad, which obviously, you know, we're big Eagle Gold fans here. And we've talked about the half pad before, but Eagle Gold just released a brand new color. Um, and Eagle Gold has many colors. So if you're into the matchy-matchy thing, especially if you're an eventer and you're looking to have a sharp color scheme, especially for cross-country Eagle Gold, you can never go wrong. And now they have a brand new steel blue color uh, that just came out for the Flip Half Pad. Um, and I, I got to check it out early on, which was very exciting. I took it to a horse show recently where I was riding a variety of horses for my trainer, but... Um, I rode two bay jumpers while I was there, and I just thought this steel blue, which is, um, it's almost a turquoise blue. It's like a light blue with a little bit of hint of like turquoise slash green. It's really sharp. So if you're like a turquoise -y person, I think you would really like this pad, but it's a specific shade of blue. I haven't, I don't know if I've seen before in other pads, pad lines or other equestrian brands. Um, it's pretty unique. And I paired it with a black Eagle Gold secure jumper pad. And I just happened to have a black belt with like light blue stitching. And I got compliments all day at the horse show. It was pretty funny um, that people like thought I was matching my sad, my saddle pad condo or combo, which, you know, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. But, um, but I love this pad and the flip half pad obviously comes with all the features that we already love for protection for your horse's back like their premium high resistance foam which helps reduce pressure points and absorb shock it's a non-slip pad which you know after i started using equal pads i'll never go back because they really do not slip it really keeps your saddle secure 
It has the cooling air vent, the flip half pad, which is nice just to know that air can continue to move through your saddle and onto the horse's back. Um, and obviously the flip pad is two pads in one. So I got the cool steel blue color on one side, but I can very easily flip the pad and the one I have has the black color on the other side. It also comes in white if you want blue and white. And it's just, it's great. It's shimmable, so you can make sure it fits perfectly under your saddle. Um, and it's easy to wash. You will not destroy it if you wash it in your washer at home, which is really important to me because I have destroyed many things washing them in my washer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you're looking for a new color scheme, if you want to up your game, if you like this turquoise, light blue, steel blue color, you should really check it out. Um, Eagle Gold has a bunch of really cool ways to see it on their Instagram page right now. You can kind of see it in action in a couple of reels, but then also some sharp uh, up close images of it too. And you can check it out for yourself by going to ecogold.ca. All right, everybody. I'm really excited to introduce our guests this week. And honestly, I don't know why it took us so long to get them both on this podcast, but I'm really excited to introduce Jessa and Mackenzie, who are sisters who grew up riding in Minnesota. You might know them from Ride IQ, the uh, riding educational app that we've talked a whole lot about on this podcast. Well, Jessa and Kinsey are horse girls. They grew up riding. Uh, their eventing aspirations brought them to Ocala, where they rode with Jen and Kyle Carter, of all people, um, up to the two-star level before they both went on to get degrees in business and entrepreneurship and marketing. And later they founded Ride IQ, which they partnered with the Carters to launch. And today, uh, Jessa lives in Denver and Kinsey lives in New York. Hi guys. How are you? Hey, Justine. We're good. Thanks so much for having us. Oh, I'm really excited to talk to you guys. I've been a big fan of Ride IQ for a while now. Obviously, um, we've collaborated in some ways in the Spark um, and a lot of our I feel like a lot of our fans align, you know, people who listen to the podcast are what Ride IQ users. So it just feels so natural to have you guys on. And honestly, I think this is going to be more fun than having Kyle on. And we've had Kyle on a bunch of times. <laughs> well, that's already a huge win. And this is like, it's surreal for me because I feel like I'm already buddies with you guys from listening to the show. And now I'm like, it's real. I am buddies with that. <laughs> Look at us chatting. <laughs> Um, so you guys both have very impressive business and marketing backgrounds. Like you went on to impressive, impressive schools, got your degrees, started your careers, but what made you want to dip a toe into the equestrian world? Yeah. So we grew up riding, like you said, we're, I mean, more than like career people, we are horse people and horse lovers, just like you guys. So we were like horse lovers doing careers, <laughs> careers and other stuff. <laughs> and Kins and I spent a lot of time together during COVID. And we've always kind of seen this opportunity to innovate in equestrian sports. And when I went on to school, I thought I had kind of missed the boat on that. Like I thought my most competitive years were behind me. I thought that the time that I was like most immersed in the equestrian community was behind me. And so I probably missed the opportunity to give that a real shot. And then when Kins and I were back together a couple of years ago, the ideas just started flowing and there were a lot of stupid ones and there were a lot of ones we were excited about. And ultimately we just got on the phone with a lot of people. Like we probably talked to a hundred riders and we knew 
like three of them. We just kept asking people, who should we talk to next? Who should we talk to next? And all of that effort was because like our passion still was with the horses and with equestrian sports. So how could we find the opportunity that we kind of knew must exist and that we could innovate around? Like we thought that we would have the skills to innovate around and then start going down that road. So that's kind of, it's more like we were horse girls who had kind of suppressed that for a while and then had the opportunity to start working around it again. I totally understand that feeling. That's amazing. Yeah. So tell us, obviously you knew the Carters and you still came back to them after, <laughs> after knowing them for so long. How, how did Kyle suck you in? Cause I just feel like all and all roads lead to Kyle sucking you in. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> That wouldn't necessarily be the word choice that I would use, but oh, it's Kyle and the Jen, word choice we're using just FYI. yeah. Kyle and Jen have honestly they've been just like the like guiding light um, ever since. I mean, Jessa and I like we started working with them when we were in middle school, so like we were really young, um, and we both went on to college, like did not really interact with them more than like commenting on their Facebook posts for 10 years. And as soon as Jess and I had an idea that we were like, oh, this has legs. We, the first people we called were Jen and Kyle. And I was nervous going into that conversation because we hadn't talked to these people in so long. And it was like a lot to catch up on. And also here's this idea that we have. And like, I didn't want them to feel obligated to tell us our idea was great or to feel like there was any sort of like awkwardness there. Um, But it just, as soon as we got to talking and Kyle, as Kyle does, is got went from zero to a hundred in enthusiasm in about 30 seconds. So he was, he was seeing the full vision even before we were. So that was wonderful. And, um, he was game in from the beginning. Yes. Yeah. They came in since day zero. Um, No, but even the way he talks about it, he was so excited, Mm -hmm. you know, from the beginning about it, which was pretty awesome. Totally. Yeah. That was, that really, I think is what gave us the energy to pursue it was Kyle and Jen's like, they believed in the idea, but they also believed in us. And like, that was the best experience ever. It was really full circle. So Ride IQ is certainly innovative and there's nothing quite like it in the horse world, which we are super excited about, but what have been the harder parts because there was nothing like this in the business? Yeah, I would say the hard parts around building Ride IQ are, I mean, I guess there are p- hard parts about the fact that it's innovative. Like what comes to mind when you mention that is like, we had this idea, we were excited about it. We, in talking to other people, we were becoming more and more convinced that there was a place for it. And we had like beta versions of it that we could get people to test the concept without actually having the technology we needed to make Ride IQ happen. So I would say the hard parts about the fact that it's innovative was once we got to that point, Kinsey and I are non-technical co-founders. So how do we take that idea and turn it into an app that works with, I mean, we didn't fundraise either. So we were like really (laughs) pinching pennies, we're bootstrapped and we were like, how are we going to make this a reality? And I just remember the days that I was sitting in that like overwhelm of, I don't know what to do next. And that's just inevitably part of starting any business. Like there are things that you're not going to know how to do and you're not going to even know how to talk about because they're unfamiliar. And 
that's when you just like put one foot in front of the other, even if it's, even if it's not a full stride, it's like just barely in front of the other. And Kinsey and I got to the technology we have today through like serendipitous, like meeting people serendipitously, but also like putting ourselves in the position to meet those people. So like one of our biggest steps forward was there was a social networking app that existed for the blink of an eye that was called clubhouse. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but basically you could like join rooms on clubhouse and coincidentally it also was like completely audio based. And in one of those rooms, the topic was, I don't have a technical co-founder and we met someone in that room who one thing led to another. And then like, that's how we ultimately found the developers that we work with today and land on the tech that we have today that made it oh, wow. possible. So it's like, but there, I mean, I'm getting beyond your question. I would say the hard part in terms of it being innovative was sitting with the like weight of the unknown. And that's, I mean, it happens over and over, but, um, and I think, <laughs> I, I think like strapping Leslie law was one of our first coaches strapping him up with our first microphone setup, which was so incredibly bulky. It was my first time meeting Leslie. I was starstruck, like I, as I should be, I still am. Um, but meeting him and then immediately being like, can we use vet wrap to wrap this microphone around your body? And there's, I mean, <laughs> ride IQ did not even exist. So we're like, you know, it's, it's a very vulnerable position to be in. And thank you to just thank you to Doug because Doug actually led us to our microphone setup now, which is- I was going to say, he would have been the part of it that yep. he had the whole thing already. He was created for this basically because he loves his microphones. Like he's <laughs> bought me for this podcast, like three different microphones. And he's like, this is the best one. Here's this, here's that. And I'm like, seriously, like I'm good with just anything. <laughs> <laughs> so he's so funny about it because he- he loves the sound and he loves all that. And he's had such a ball, you know, recording it and everything else. And, you know, he dubs over all his other stuff to start with, you know, all his videos, he does voiceovers and he's so good with that kind of technology part that still to this day, it is quite amazing to me because I'm like, I barely can figure out how to edit a video without any sound or anything. I'm good to add sound to it basically. Well, we're definitely all thankful that he has that interest <laughs> that he's taken because it's helped all of us for sure. And he, I think the microphone he set us up with was one that he landed on because he was recording while he was flying. And yeah, I mean, the well, and it's, it's very similar to it. And so, cause he used to do a puffy one and then now he does kind of like the foam one because of the flying. And he was like, Oh, this is, you know, he just thinks like that. So yes, I love it. Yeah. Well, Thank you to Doug, if, so, if you're listening. <laughs> and we'll tell him for sure. But you guys have been around, oh, it doesn't feel like this long, but almost a year and a half. Like you touched on some other things, but what are some of your true highlights from the last year and a half that kind of surprised you? It's so hard to even pick highlights. I think one thing that really sticks out for me is we had a Zoom party on our one year anniversary. And I know like Zoom party is like so cringe and nobody, if nobody, that doesn't sound fun to anybody. Um, or at least that's how I went into it. And I was just like, it was just the most like bright and fun experience ever. I think. I mean, there were a lot of Rod IQ members who attended and everyone just brought the energy and it's just been so, so much fun getting to know thousands of people over the last year and a half. And that's really been the highlight for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm with Ken's. There's, there's a highlight every day, but 
surprisingly, like the most important highlights to me are all the little ones. Like early on, we got a text from somebody's mom and she was like, I just want to tell you how much, like how happy it's making my heart to see my daughter as happy as she is. She's riding with the ride IQ lessons and it's just like reinvigorated her and getting notes from people like that is such a moment of pause to reflect on like, wow, this is really cool because otherwise it's easy to feel stressed and feel disconnected from people, honestly, because I mean, that that's another one of the hard parts is like, we're work. I'm working so much more than I've ever worked in my life. And I feel like I live in front of a computer and, and having notes or messages like that from people is heartwarming and like keeps me going. (laughs) Yeah. It means a lot. And I think people don't recognize how like when they're reaching out, they don't realize how much it means. But like I text the Carters all the time to share messages that people have shared with me and, and they feel the same. Our coaches have told me that it means a ton to them when ride IQ members stop them at shows just to say, you know, a lesson is really helping them or whatever it is. And it, I mean, it's really cool that it's impacting people and to be able to hear from some of those people means a lot. So I think that's been the highlight. It'll be continue to be the highlight. That's awesome. So you guys are sisters and co-founders. I have a little sister. (laughs) What is that relationship like, like the working versus the family? That's been like the biggest blessing since day one. I would have I would have thought like the same thing you're thinking, like that would never work. But it it works so well. And I think part of the reason, like kind of the biggest a, a surprise of working with your sister is that you kind of know what they're thinking, even without them telling you, because you've known this person your entire life. And so we kind of get to skip that part where people like, you know, there's no beating around the bush in this relationship. Like we, (laughs) I know what she's thinking before she tells me and it goes both ways. And like, we're able to be so honest with each other that we don't have to like, no time is wasted on, um, anything that like, I don't know, a lot of like that stuff that you run into with a, with a coworker colleague relationship. It's really nice that Kinsey answered that question first, because usually when people ask us that, I'm so quick to jump in and be like, it's the best thing ever. And because I'm not really sure if I'm the only one who thinks it's the best thing ever. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I would, I mean, I would echo what Kinsey said. Everyone tells us working with family is so hard. And I'm just like, I trust her more than anyone. I can communicate with her without any stress. It's like all, all good things from our point of view. But I think we have this huge benefit of having such vastly different skill sets. Like I definitely know when something falls into Kinsey's realm of expertise or if it falls into mine and it makes it so there's no like butting heads or stepping on toes. It's more like, I'm just really grateful to have someone who has a finance brain because I would, I, I mean, I would melt if I had to do that (laughs) parts of the business that Kinsey has to do. Yeah, I get that because my boyfriend's an accountant. So I I do fully understand that. (laughs) So how do you guys come up with new ideas? How do you keep content fresh, interesting, and always so educational? That's probably the easiest part of our job because our members do that for us. It's like such a gift. We have this um, private members Facebook group. And when we started Ride IQ, we were so hesitant to launch Ride IQ with a Facebook community to go along with it because I was like, it's, if there are crickets in there, it's going to, you know, be more detrimental than a positive thing. And 
from the get-go, people have been all in. And I know you guys know how great those Facebook communities can be because I love your guys' Facebook community. Um, so our Facebook community is like a lot of people are sending us lessons, suggestions, things they love about lessons, coach suggestions. I mean, all sorts of feedback that's really important for us. And we, we literally like take that, keep, keep track of all of it, send it to our coaches. And then every Tuesday we, we put out new lessons and new podcast episodes. And, um, there's really not a whole lot of ideating from our part in terms of what the topics will be because they do that for us. Our job is more like, how do we put this content together in the most user-friendly or like high value way that we can for people? Well, Kinsey and Jessa, it's been so much fun chatting with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, if our listeners are curious and want to learn more about Ride IQ, where should they go? Yeah, um, our website's probably the best spot. It's ride-iq.com and they can get a two-week free trial. So they can also jump into the app that way and kind of see what it's all about. But if you search Ride IQ in the app store on Android or iPhone, you'll find us there. Perfect. No slipping, no sliding, no problem. EcoGold's secure saddle pads are engineered to keep the horse's back comfortable while keeping the saddle in place for a safe, competitive ride. They have impact protection through the seat, and the ultra-thin flaps provide the rider the better communication and the more stable riding position. Available in both English and Western styles, shop the entire collection at ecogold.ca. All right, everybody. So our next guest, I'm very excited to introduce. You might recognize his name because he's a member of our Facebook group and a listener. We're happy to have Alex Zachman here with us, who's an endurance and inventing writer in North Carolina. He is serving on committees with both the ASHA, which is the Saddlebrad Association, and the USCF next year. And he's working with the director of USA Endurance on a training program for the Pan American Games and eventually the WEGS. Alex will be competing in the CEI One Star if all goes according to plan. All right. Hey, Alex, how are you? Good. Yourself? Good, good. It's so great to have you on the show. And this has been a few a few months in the making because um, you posted in our Facebook group a little while ago about your riding journey with your beautiful chestnut saddlebred mare, um, but also about your weight loss as you've continued to ride and and um, sort of built this really fun career in endurance. So I thought we'd start there. Can you tell me more about how you found horseback riding and what it is that you're doing with your saddlebred mare now? Yeah, um, I was going to start off by by joking that my name is Jon Snow and I know nothing. Uh, <laughs> That's and, amazing. <laughs> yeah, so um, I I got back into horses two years ago uh interestingly enough grew up with like family having horses as kids and um ended up doing some very amateur bull riding when i was in the army wow um, and you know life just got like happening and uh you know covid had us all kind of searching for things to do and in in my normal life, uh, I guess like adult life, I uh, run an IT consulting company and um, it helps you kind of learn to balance ego and understanding that you know absolutely nothing, even though you think you do. <laughs> and honestly, like my journey from a horse perspective really has come out from that. So it's 
putting myself to experiences like this and, you know, saying, hey, Jess, we live uh, two counties apart and I know nothing and I would love for you to brain dump to me. And <laughs> then, you know, what what essentially happens from that is you by humbling yourself, you end up learning a whole bunch more and by getting like polite knife hands to the face saying you're jacked up somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you end up getting better a whole lot faster than, you know, just kind of stumbling through it. Interestingly enough, I got into English writing, ironically, because of, uh, Jessica's husband and a, a few other Olympians, um, that are in central North Carolina. And I thought, Hey, that that's really cool. Did competitive mountain biking, uh, when I was younger and it like missed the adrenaline rush. And decided to fall headlong into it and just so happened to live in the heart of English country. So, yeah, got into, uh, I guess, eventing to start. Uh, Obviously, when you get into horse riding, you're not really in eventing. You're just kind of saying, hey, I want to be an eventer. But it was kind of what got me up to go to two to three lessons a week. And... One of my local trainers, Miriam Granger, her her former boss was Denny Emerson, and she was one of Denny's uh, last students. And Denny was a very big proponent of uh, cross-training eventing horses in endurance. And he holds actually the very unique title, or, or he's the only rider to have an Olympic gold medal and also have a te- uh, also have a Tevis buckle. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, that's interesting to me. Cause I, I, I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about endurance, but I do have a friend who I went to college with that is doing the Tevis cup next year. Um, yeah. so she's training her like off the track thoroughbred for that right now. So I want to know what made you choose a saddlebred? From my understanding, they're not a natural choice for a sport horse partner. So the really interesting thing, like kind of my prep into this podcast, I, I did some more research on the the saddlebred as a whole. And, you know, originally it was me looking at at seeing the saddlebred was the original American war horse. They were actually a cross between the Narragansett Pacer and uh, the thoroughbred. Um, so they have direct lineage back to Paul Revere and him saying the redcoats are coming, the redcoats are coming. And uh, they were actually the preferred officer's mount uh, for the U.S. Cavalry. So interestingly enough, the U.S. Army actually ran the U.S. jumping program uh, up into the 1950s. And this, the saddlebred was actually the preferred sport horse for the Army uh, because they actually thought the saddlebred jumped better um, than any other breed. And it was uh, pretty common to see the saddlebred uh, going into uh, the 1970s and 1980s in the long format uh, horse trials. Interestingly enough, though, um, you know, that's all great in hindsight. At the time, I kind of saw it as the it was a war horse that could do sport. And in my Jon Snow, I know nothing mind. I saw war horse uh, attached to a fifteen hundred dollar price tag on Facebook and said, yes, please let me go visit this horse. And she happened to be super sweet. 
Um, actually got her from um, a lady in Chapel Hill. And she's like the biggest puppy dog ever. And I think she has become kind of a testament to why I like the Saddlebred. Because in a, in a year and a half, I can go from being Jon Snow and knowing nothing. And, you know, all things stars align. Uh, March, uh, May of this next year, uh, I'll be competing in my first FEI endurance ride. I don't know too many horses that, you know, in under two years, you can take from them being a green five-year-old and uh, bringing them up to FEI. That's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Wait, that's so what's her impressive. name? <laughs> I need to know her name. So her registered name is Lookout World. Oh, and that's pretty awesome. And uh, because she's the horse that America made and uh, my uh, lookout world in my mind uh, made me think of Lady Liberty. So she is Liberté, uh, spelled the French way, because Lady Liberty was a gift from the French. Oh, nice. So outside of eventing and dressage, you're making a huge run. You know, you talked about how eventing kind of got you involved, but now it seems like you're making more of a run towards the endurance side. How's that like? You just did that Biltmore run and everything else. How are you really liking it? It is the most addicting thing ever. Um, <laughs> I, I still enjoy jumping fences and fox hunting and those kinds of things. But it's really hard to not want to go deeper when you see your horse get so excited about something. So like, while I do enjoy endurance, I fell deeper down the rabbit hole because my horse really, really liked it. So you also said that you're doing this FEI process. I know personally, I do a lot of our stuff. How was that whole process by yourself for the endurance? I know it's different for eventing and show jumping and everything else, but you do you have an interesting story where you're like, I've been overwhelmed myself and I still do it on a weekly thing that I'm like, oh, it still gets the best of me. Yeah. So Yusuf is actually standing up their endurance program now. So um it's still formalizing, uh, <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> which, which, which means, uh, yeah, I, I've become a, well, just in my day job, I'm a master at Google. So I actually found uh, Eliza Wallace actually posted a YouTube video like six or seven years ago about the passport. And that actually started my research rabbit hole. And then uh, I happened to have uh, one of the most amazing veterinarians uh, in North Carolina. And uh, Dr. Fernando at 3H has he's done amazing. a lot to, yeah, he's, he's done a lot to help me navigate the passport process. But the really interesting thing is the passport process is the easy part. Oh, uh, that's the easiest part, even though I've had so many trouble with it. Like, <laughs> they call me, so. like, once a month, basically, and they're like, oh, you actually owe more money. I'm like, how could I possibly still owe more money? They're like, well, the name wasn't correct. And so I've now had to pay two name change fees of $1,250 for two different horses because I bought them and the latest one was too close to the sire, even though I didn't name this horse, uh, but it came with it, but it wasn't his breed registry name or something. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, once again, they're just taking more money from me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <So> <laughs> it is. They just I, do. 
I, I think, you know, the, the other interesting thing that's been fun to navigate is now being an international competitor, I am subject to WADA anti-doping rules. And oh, yeah. So, show up at your door. <laughs> well, so the really fascinating thing is that my health care is 100% through the Department of Veterans Affairs. So I've had a really fascinating time trying to describe to the VA why I'm requesting a spirometry appointment or trying to talk to a dietitian or all of these things because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm competing with my horse at the international level. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'm like, hashtag, we can blame the Russians. <laughs> So do you have any advice for amateur owners who are interested in trying to start their endurance journey with their horses? Do it. Just, just don't, don't, don't think about it. Just do it. Like it, it honestly is the most amazing cross training thing ever. So, you know, for the dressage people that never want to leave the arena, it's, it's amazing what, a 15 to 20 mile hack would do will do for your horse's mind. You know, I, I supposedly have a horse that is supposed to be super spooky and everybody has negative breed opinions of, and she's the most sane horse out on the field most of the times. And I, I truly attribute that to going hacking regularly uh, because it allows the horse to see a whole bunch of stuff um and just become used to being a horse and then i think the other thing uh, i guess two things don't be afraid to reach out to endurance folks they are like the most friendly people you will ever meet and it is the easiest thing ever to find a mentor um to like help you i went to state for, like nc state for fisheries and wildlife biology and there was a uh, a saying in the program that uh, it takes a hunter to make a hunter. So like the act of, you know, going hunting for something, like it's not something that you just casually pick up. You have to have somebody show you what the activity is and how to do it ethically and all of that fun stuff. And I would say that endurance is very similar. And, and my engagement with everybody up to the highest level in this country, it really is... Uh, it, it takes an endurance rider to make an endurance rider. And what you see is that nobody's too ego-driven to answer your question. And then the last thing is, like, avoid the temptation to get race brain and want to go fast right away. The, the best way to get 50 or 100-mile fit is not to canter everywhere and just wear yourself and your horse out. It really is walking and trotting. You know, the the funny uh, acronym is LSD. And, you know, the first few times I, I kind of messaged it, everybody just kind of laughed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's long, slow distance. And uh -huh. the way you get a horse ready for 100 miles is to consistently walk 25 miles. Wow. That feels like a lot, like a long time commitment. You're not, you're not wrong. I mean, okay. uh, I, I, I would say with the way that I've kind of taken, I mean, I, I'm, I'm 
not riding maybe as much as, as as Doug or Jess, but I am, you know, at the barn every day. I'm riding five days a week, uh, typically hack out twice a week. But, you know, the, the average person doesn't have to do that. Like, you know, Liberty and I are are trying to go for an eight, nine mile an hour pace over 50 miles. Like that takes a different level of fitness than somebody just trying to do 25 miles in five and a half hours. So I'm taking it probably a bit to the extreme. It doesn't have to be. I see. Interesting. Well, Alex, from talking to you, like leading up to the podcast and honestly, even tonight, like you, it's very clear you are an advocate for the saddlebred breed, which I, I just think it's so cool that Liberty has has clearly won you over. You are smitten, and now you are an advocate for this breed. Can you tell me just just more about saddlebreds in general and how you got involved? You know, with the association for the breed, and um, and obviously when you saw her, it sounds like you knew she was the one for you. But you know, what is it about this breed that you feel like people don't know? I, I think you know. In modern sport horse culture, one, if you have money, everybody wants to go look at a warm blood and, you know, not saying that, uh, you know, I don't like Holsteiners or Cell Francais or, um, you know, Dutch warm bloods or anything like that. Fortunately or unfortunately, owning horses is expensive. So uh, absent uh, a massive sponsor or one of my clients paying for a horse. I have to spread out cost. Um, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag we can't all be Doug. Oh, um, I don't know. We're still like, oh my goodness. Like, we have to check this. I think that is everybody's life, to be honest. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think really looking at them being the original cavalry horse i mean they they, as a breed standard were originated to be a saddle horse that could take you from north carolina to new york city and you could walk around and be fine so from a temperament perspective they tend to actually like people more um, than the average horse like their herding instinct is uh very intense and, you know, consistently amongst every saddlebred person I've talked to, uh, I have heard the the analogy that they're like puppy dogs. They will literally follow you around the pasture and they a lot of times prefer human interaction over horse interaction. So to me, that's amazing. The loyalty that you get from the horse, like Liberty will do things for me that she's probably personally terrified of, but she trusts me. And if they trust you, they will do the world for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, just going back to them being army horses, like they were bred to be athletic with crazy stamina. And if you look at problems that like a lot of thoroughbreds have, like, you don't have feet problems. You don't necessarily have the, you know, self-preservation of a goldfish problem where, you know, the the thoroughbred was randomly in the pasture and it stabbed itself with a bush. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Been there. 
you know, you might have some some things confirmationally that you have to fight that the show folks bred in. But as a whole, like if you're willing to look at the the foundations of dressage and look at the the training pyramid, I don't think that you'd have an issue with it. And if you look at where the horses are going, you know, in the market, they're they're super affordable. Uh, unfortunately, they're very common in feedlots. Uh, they're very common at auctions, and it's not uncommon to find, you know, a really good horse for a thousand or twelve hundred dollars because just the market isn't there right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the really interesting thing is that like. If you look at this last year, Emma Klugman, I may be mispronouncing that name, so my apologies to Emma. Um, but um, she actually has um, her 20-year-old uh, half-saddle bread that she just took uh, fifth with at the Devon Indoor. And she's taken him to Kentucky. and. Yeah. Like he's he's competing against Doug and Boyd and and keeping up. Yeah, um, that that's amazing. That's really amazing. Uh, also, uh, Jessica, I heard from a little birdie that you and Doug have a saddlebred in your barn, or a half saddlebred. Oh, we so she is she's not here right now. She comes uh, half the year, basically. One of our working students, who's turned client and everything. Funny enough, her name is Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) She is a paint. And so she's competed novice training level and um, has done like the jumpers and everything. But she's probably like 22 years old now. And so she's a client of ours that's, uh, she goes to school in Kentucky. So Madeline is the girl's name. And so Madeline was competing her and everything else. But yes, uh, we had Jessica here off and on for the last like four to five years. To be honest, she's been in the program. So, yes, we do have Jessica as a saddlebred. And she's got perfect little needs. She's, like, she's the cutest thing. She She's amazing. That is so cool. Yeah. Her sway back gets her. The poor thing's kind of older and stuff. So, the more time that she's, like, you know, gotten older and everything else, Doug's like, I feel bad. I just don't even think I could ride Jessica. <laughs> like, I think I'd break her. So, <laughs> because her poor sway back has gotten her bad. So, but she's she's such a sweetheart. She's amazing. She's She is truly um, a, a great, great horse. So, Alex, I hope you're ready because we, we wanted to keep you on and invite you to play rose and thorn with us so yes you, you understand the rules of the game right <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay uh, i i i i forget what episode but it, it uh i remember one time doug did it and he laughed and said it was the most uh female thing ever and i will laugh but then also say that i really enjoy listening to them Oh. <laughs> you might be the only like the only other guy to play since Doug, probably. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, think you're you know, wrong. <laughs> may, may, maybe uh, you know he can rub off on me a little bit. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> I, so, I can donate some facial hair to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, who wants to go first? Anybody? I, I can, can go, go first. Oh, or, you go. All right. Okay. 
So my rose is that after the last five years of Doug and I, Doug had, if anybody remembers way back in the day, Doug had a little sports car BMW that it was a two seater. And when I was pregnant for, with Hudson, I was like, okay, what are we going to do with this car? So we sold it and we were supposed to get a car. And to be honest, like it's taken five years to agree upon a car. Like one person will be like, this is it. I got the car. And after like two weeks, the other person's like, nope, don't like it anymore. And it has been going on for five years. No lie. We finally bought a car. (laughs) I can't believe it, to be honest. We finally agreed. He drove my mom's QX60. So we just picked up a new car that, um, so I won't be in the truck all the time doing my recordings, which will be kind of weird. I mean, I probably still will just out of like comfort, but now we have, uh, I guess a mom car, if you want to call it that. Oh, wow. Look at you, huh? I I know. I feel like grown up finally. (laughs) Because I think Doug's like, I'm not sure if we take the kids to pick up, like you can pull up in the truck every day with a huge brush guard. (laughs) I was like, don't worry, I'm probably still doing that. (laughs) Um, And speaking of the kiddos, that is my thorn. Um, We have decided to potty train Abigail because it is definitely time. And the way we potty train is like, we just make a horrible week out of it. To be honest, we pull the diaper, we say that they're gone. So there's no more left and they have to go to the bathroom and that's it. And like with Hudson, he peed like all over the place, like literally all over the place. Abigail had an accident the first day, like in her pants. And then she's been amazing but she hasn't figured out how to poop in the toilet a hundred percent. And my thorn is a hundred percent from our poor nanny because I did this <laughs> while she was gone. So that I would have like the horrible part of it. And she lucked out. Like she pooped in her pants like once for me. And it was like big, hard thing, like clean it up. Like this is too much information, but it was like not that big of a deal. And the other times, like it's happened, like when she was sleeping or whatever, and it's not been that bad. Well, Inslee was like, we have to talk. It was really bad today. And I was like, what happened? She's like, well, she, she won't wear underwear prior to today. She just wants pants on like legging pants. And it went through the pants down and Inslee stepped on it. (laughs) Oh no. So my thorn is that it's like not really going that well. And then my poor nanny stepped. She goes, thank God I had socks on. I threw the socks away. But I was like, she goes, but I got her wearing a uh, underwear now because she's like, then it will maybe catch it. So my thorn is definitely that potty training is really just not, it's, yeah, yeah, it's not fun. (laughs) I can't wait for her to be like grown up. And for her, like, first ever boyfriend to hear this podcast. (laughs) My kids are going to be like, I hate that you have a podcast. (laughs) You'll be like, well, yeah, man sucks. But yes, so potty training is, it's going, it's happening. But, oh, we're only like a weekend and it's not fun. Yeah. So, Ellie, can you beat that one? You talked about (laughs) Vegas last time. Does my Rosenthorn align with yours this time? Um, I mean, kind of, mine's kind of poopy too, but it, uh, not so literally, (laughs) um, (laughs) 
like, I mean, the, well, the one thing I'm struggling with, and I mean, obviously, I am grateful to be back to like where I'm at right now, even though it's not, you know, 100%. Um, but my biggest thing is that I should have signed up for short term disability, because I didn't when I, you know, took my job, because I figure I'm 26. Why the heck do I need that? And so the whole like not being paid for three months definitely has yeah. hit my uh, hit my wallet pretty hard. Yeah, uh, which yeah. which sucks because it's holiday season. Like I want to get people presents and I have no money. <laughs> um, so that kind of sucks. So I'm trying to, you know, make a lot of presents, um, which is good. But there's definitely not enough time <laughs> between now and Christmas. So people are going to get delayed Christmas presents. Um, That's OK. Yeah, but that I guess that's the sucky part is just uh, being so dry in the wallet department. But kind of the reverse side of that is that I have like a deja vu rose, guys. I'm so excited. Um, So my mom is spoiling me uh, with like the best Christmas present ever because I'm finally going to get to do my Buck Brannaman clinic. (laughs) Nice. I'm so excited. So, I mean, obviously I was supposed to go in 2020, but then COVID and they all got canceled. Uh, and so now I finally get to go to one. Um, so he's coming closer to the area. Um, it's not till September. Um, it's up in Buffalo, New York. And I'm just so excited. So I'm kind of <laughs> taking a big leap because I'm taking Q and I'm also taking Berkeley. <laughs> um, so why I decided to do that, there's going to be a lot of uh, physical therapy between now and September. So I can get riding that long because it's like a combination of like six hours. So yeah, lots of PT for me. Um, but I'm I'm just so excited. I mean, it's been like a dream of mine since I was eight years old. Um, so I'm just super excited to oh, that's so exciting. do it. I know. I'm thrilled for you. You're going to have to tell us all about it. Like, we need a full report. Yes. Fingers crossed for no more global pandemics uh, to make this one actually happen. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right, Alex, what do you got? So do we want to start with good or bad? You can do whichever one. You You pick. I don't want to be super depressing, but uh, from a thorn perspective, so then I can end on a positive note. This last month has been somewhat difficult. Um, So definitely appreciative of the invite here because it's helped buoyed me from a mental health perspective. But Veterans Day was the one year anniversary of my dad passing. And uh, I had to put a horse down last month after finding him on Facebook that he had uh, gone into the Ashboro kill pen. Oh, no. So that, uh, I think we had to put him down three days after the anniversary of my dad. So, um, so sorry. You know, I will kind of use my thorn to, you know, give a shout out to anybody else that's struggling and say that you're not alone. And um, while it might be uncomfortable to reach out to people or talk to somebody at the barn or, you know, all that fun stuff, um, shoot, even, you know, find me on Facebook and message me out. Like I'll listen. Um, but from my experience talking to people, while the person listening might be uncomfortable, it's not an uncomfortable because they're not happy to listen. 
they just might not know what to say, but they're there and just know that you're not alone. No, absolutely. So, um, yeah, had had to, I, I guess, kind of do that shout out with it being the the holiday season and just it being there for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think the the rose, uh, I, I will take the gimme and say, you know, this is a part of of kind of the rose. Like it's been the thing that I've kind of been excited about. Um, and then tomorrow, um, I'm actually driving up to Steuben, um, in Virginia, and I actually get to meet Dirk Steuben and, um, see some of their new stuff for next year. So, uh, super, super excited about that. That is awesome. Like you have to tell us more about that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, um, this last year, I actually picked Steuben up as a as a client uh, in my my day job. So, uh, oh, cool. I, oh, that's I, fun. Yeah, I, I do some IT work for them, and they they got a kick out at Rolex. They like threw me into the wolves and tried to get me to help people. And Jan and Johanna Steuben were laughing that their IT guy was able to talk about saddles knowledgeably. And, uh, <laughs> that's awesome and, and, and not many can as tack <laughs> yeah because not many could right so that, yeah. that that's been kind of cool that's very cool all right i'll make mine quick so we'll start with my thorn um it's also a little bit of a rose but a bittersweet one in that i am glad this year is over because it's been a really crappy horse time in my life that i know uh, my horse has been off rehabbing this injury, but knock on wood, you know, good juju everywhere. Um, he, he is recovering every month. He looks better. So it's just the longest slog. I don't wish a suspensory injury on anybody I know ever because it is, uh, miserably agonizingly long and slow and terrible. And I just, you know, you just look at your horse and go like, I want you to be better. Right. But um, on a on a on a you know a more constructive note, it's taught me a lot about myself and a lot about my horse and our partnership, and um, and also made me very appreciative for the many many wonderful years I've had with him, and that this horse really owes me nothing. Um, he's given me anything I could ever dream of and more. So I just I love him, and I'm glad he's going to get better. So. But the, you know, the FOMO you feel, you know, especially the last couple months, I was at Terra Nova watching all my friends compete. I was at Barnstaple watching all my friends do the long format. Um, it sucks to be on the sidelines, but, you know. But you've gotten to ride some cool horses in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. So that's the bittersweet part is, uh, you know, this is, I I'm lucky to have a really nice community of horse people around me who have given me a lot of opportunities to, to learn. Like I probably learned more in the last year than I have in a long time. So, and that's just from opportunities to ride all different kinds of horses from all different training programs, all different disciplines, different walks of life. And I'm really grateful for that. So, and then I would say 
my rose is that we're going to LA for Christmas, which is a very different type of Christmas for me. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, my brother-in-law, my husband's brother lives in LA and his other brother who currently lives in Hong Kong, actually, we haven't seen since before the pandemic because of the pandemic and also political things going on in Hong Kong. We haven't been able to see him in many years. Um, I'm looking forward to being able to spend some time with family and just sort of disconnect and enjoy a new city. Um, yeah. So that's it for me. Oh, that's really exciting though. I'm glad Mikey is getting better and I'm glad you're going to another warm place for Christmas. Must be right? nice. Yeah. We stick with the warm places. <laughs> so. She's she didn't say she was going to like Buffalo, New York. <laughs> oh man! But I'm Alex- the crazy person doing Minneapolis. So oh, my you are the crazy person. Um, but Alex, before we let you go, if people want to follow your journey with Liberty, do you have um, social channels they can reach out to you at, or how can they how can they find you? Yes, I will uh, shamefully admit I resurrected my Instagram uh, last week. <laughs> nice. Um, so um, I am the Old North Equestrian, and uh, that is where we will be. Um, I also want to say Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year to everybody. Awesome. Yes. yes thank you. All right, guys. So the mailbag this week is um, its a little bit of a heated one. So this discussion came up in our Facebook group because there was a reel that was going around of um, a rider, like, schooling a young horse over their first cross country jumps and a listener shared, um, shared the reel in our Facebook group and asked, is it harmful to be jumping a three-year-old? This person was under the impression that two is okay to start for light riding, like no cantering or tight circles, but three-year-olds, you know, are they, are they really old enough and developed enough to be jumping? So I'm curious of your thoughts because I'm sure there are many schools of thought on this and Jess, why don't you start as you know, I'm seeing Doug posting lots of video videos lately. I know you're working with a young horse right now. Like what is your program? When do you decide to start jumping? Okay. So we do it. I know a lot of people start horses at two or three, you know, start riding or whatever else. And then they give them a long break and then they bring them back. Honestly, like, we don't have the time and kind of situation where we could start them. Like we probably would start them middle of their three-year-old year and not jumping, but just start them kind of walk, trot, cantering, making sure they're it, lunging, things like that, making sure that they kind of are a little bit more domesticated and broke. Uh, but the middle of summer, we're still really competing. So Doug has done this for quite some time that at the end of their three-year-old year, so they're like a month from turning four, so we start after Fair Hill or if we like been show jumping and stuff like that. So we started this year after we're competing, basically. So if Doug gets bucked off like one of the times and he broke his rib, like then he can have a week or two off and not know that he has to go to a horse show. So we do it at the end of the season where it's a little bit safer to not like, hey, we got to, you know, we can give them the time and not feel rushed. A lot of our horses are on vacation. So we take that time to really spend it breaking the late three-year-olds. So we break them, we lunge them, Doug puts them in side reins, does all of that. So we've done that for the last month. And then we start riding them, you know, backing them, laying all over them. And then we start putting them over poles and jumps first week of December generally. Like, so they've had about a month 
that they've come back, that they've been riding. And then we jump over like little things, go up and down the mounds. And basically they go to their first horse show as four-year-olds mid-spring generally. I think this year it will be April just due to the schedule. But a lot of times it's February, March. We used to take advantage of Aiken being uh, a great place for the young horses because it was pretty inexpensive to get the mileage in. So we took advantage of that while we were based there. This time we're going to Wellington a bunch. So we're not going to ship the four-year-olds to Wellington. So for us, like we are trying, we're a totally different thing. We're trying to brick, like get horses that are to the five-star level and mm-hmm. eventing and show jumping. So if you go on track for that, the eventing has a four-year-old young event horse championships. They should be doing novice, a little bit of training by the end of their four-year-old year. So they so should be jumping like, about a meter. Yeah. I was going to say that's so, three. Yeah. That's yeah. About a meter. And then their five-year-old year, they're supposed to be jumping a meter 10 going almost preliminary. So if you're on track to do all that, you can't wait. And I, you know, we've done it with multiple horses. I'm sure there's the ones that are, you know, too big, grow too fast and you have to take more time or, you know, they're trying to get more. There's all these different reasons you wouldn't do it. This is why we do it. And so we stay on track because they have to keep going. And the jumpers, when they're five-year-old championship, they're jumping, you know, just like the preliminaries, like a meter 10, the jumpers aren't much bigger. They're like a meter 15, meter 20 in their five-year-old year. So you need to be doing that because by their seven-year-old year, they're jumping 135. So you have to, or maybe it's meter 20, honestly, in their five-year-old year, but you stay on track that you can't wait till they're five to go. Oh, by the way, I need to jump them a meter 10, meter 15, a meter 20. So we get them going and just slowly kind of getting the ball running so that they can go to shows so that they are on track to be big horses and hit their prime when you're expecting to hit their prime, basically. Interesting. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like that's pretty common for a, you know, a high performance sport program, right? Um, Absolutely. What about you, Ellie? What are your thoughts? Well, no, and I think Jess is a good example of this because here's the thing, like, I mean, gosh, Van Diver was how old when he went to the Olympics? Like, you guys take such good care of your horses during the process of them growing and competing that I think that contributes a lot to this. I mean, personally, I especially I think I I work a lot more with like closer draft crosses than I think like the warm bloods and more thoroughbred types. And I think a lot of that and, you know, their breed in general does affect how fast they grow, how fast they're mature enough to do things and things like that. Sure. Um, so I, I usually as a rule of thumb, like same thing as Jess, I don't really start thinking about jumping until they're four. And I think that's just a good rule of thumb. You know, I think especially with everything that's happened with Batman, this has become something that's like, especially heated for me because Batman was campaigned as a reigning horse as a late two, early three-year-old, and he's now 15 and is riddled with arthritis. Right now, he can't even be in a full-size pasture, you know? And the part that bothers me is because, you know, they started him and worked him so hard, so young, that they basically ruined the rest of his life. And I know that sounds, like, really harsh, but it it is, you know? And um, 
And so like the way I think about it when I'm starting horses and obviously with all my medical stuff, I'm not doing that anymore right now. But the way I see it is I want them to be like, I mean, they're family members to me, right? The horses that I'm breaking, I want them to be happy and comfortable for like as long as possible. And so for me that I, I like to start them when they're three and not even think about going over things other than poles until they're four. And I think so much of this is just ask your vet, talk to your vet because each horse grows differently. I mean, my mom's horse is a pre-marin baby. So he's a Percheron thoroughbred and we bought him when he was six years old. Okay. And he was 16, three in a year that horse grew to almost 18 hands. So, I mean, it's like, it depends on the horse. It depends like even Q Q is a quarter horse. So really, and truly he's six. Now he should be done growing. He doesn't fit in his blankets from last year because he was emaciated until he was three months old. So he didn't get that nutrients to get that growth right off the bat. So I think each horse, just like each person, just like each kid, everybody's different. And I think the most important thing is to do what's right for that specific horse. hundred um, percent. Because I mean, that's what we, you know, we want them to last for forever. We want them right. to be excelling at their thing. I mean, if anybody remembers the high society horse of mine, Trevor was my five-star horse for forever. He's 26, still sound and being ridden. Like exactly. That's what we want, you know, like he's with Wendy Luce, who I've talked about multiple times, who's a great uh, supporter of ours. She has him and still rides him. And, you know, she's, she loves him and she can enjoy him, you know, and he's 26 years old and still has plenty of time left. And that type of thing is what we're looking for. So it's a lot, exactly like what you're saying about listening to the horse. And if they're not ready or they're growing at a different thing and they're, you know, 12 inches but high, like, of course, let them catch up a little bit, you know, and I'm just exaggerating to be honest, but, you know, like pay attention to it and let them don't be afraid to say, okay, I will give them time. But at the other time, don't be afraid to say, okay, yes, therefore we can ask them to do a little bit if you are comfortable and they're comfortable. Right. Right. It yeah. depends. I think it, like you said, it depends on the team you have around you and the plan and the plans you have for that horse. So if you're 100%. an amateur, Bringing along a young horse or you bought a three-year-old off the track. It's just so important in those early days, I think, to have a good conversation with your vet um, and with your trainer, um, even your pals who have done this before, you know, and have some advice to to give you. But um, as an amateur who's brought young horses like a three-year-old and started jumping them before, um, I just think it's, you know, it's imperative you're having these conversations on the front end and there's no, there's no wrong answer. Like if you want to slow down there, like that's totally fine by the Not horse, a big deal. you know? So, yeah. yeah. So take your time if you want to. And I think it's important to say too, and I'm sure both of you would agree with me. There's so much that you can do to prepare a horse before you ev- ever sit on its back. That makes yeah. your life so much easier yeah. and their life so much easier. Oh, definitely. So, there's no need to rush the being under saddle part because you can basically get them broke. And then the first time you sit on them, it's boring as heck, you know? So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, like you said, talk and, you know, learn as much as you can from different people and do what you do for the pony. 
So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the air, you could always send us an email by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or you can post it in our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us, you can subscribe to the Heels Down Spark, our daily email newsletter, by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. And we want to say thank you to our partners this week, Eagle Gold. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers.